Good morning. I'm Deacon Mary, and I'm here to welcome you to the first of a series of seven catechesis videos this fall entitled Catechesis and Coronatide, the Common Rule. In this series, we will be watching together clips from a video series by Justin Early based on his book, The Common Rule. These clips will be introduced by myself or another teacher with additional teaching about how his common rule can fit into our Anglican life together at All Souls. We are aware this is not the optimum modality for catechesis teachings, but perhaps for now it is because we wanna use our time and space on Sunday morning to allow as many people as can to come in person outside or inside to celebrate safely Holy Communion together. None of these videos will be long. We know everyone is zoomed out, but at the same time, we don't wanna miss the opportunity to provide some extra teaching to go along with our community read of Early's book, The Common Rule. You will see here that we have also developed a web page to accompany this catechesis series. On the web page, we have developed a simple reading plan that accompanies each week's video. Last spring, Early narrowed the focus of his book to meet the needs of living in Coronatide with a template called Four Spiritual Rhythms for Coronatide, which you see here. We will talk about these rhythms in a few minutes. But first, some background. Several weeks ago, Father Andrew challenged all of us at All Souls to begin to embrace a common rule modeled after those rules of life followed by monastic communities. He suggested the simple foundation for this rule would be for all of us to begin praying three times a day for our church and for each other. You may be asking why start looking at a common rule of life right now when we are all navigating the challenges of loss and change in our church, nation, and world. But this is precisely why we are choosing this moment in the life of the church to call everyone to come together and dig in, if not in body, in the spirit, to find common purpose together in our service to Jesus. The past six months, we have all found ourselves establishing new habits of life to keep ourselves, our families, and our communities safe from exposure to coronavirus. But there's a spiritual virus afoot also. I know I have experienced feelings of helplessness and loss of hope as I have watched a sickness ravish and paralyze our whole global community, while also watching how fear and anger is contributing to the disintegration of our social fabric in our country. This is a time I know I need to dig deeper into the life of God, engage in self-examination, and perhaps look for new ways to allow God to enlarge my life with his love and hope. One of the things I love about Early's book is his honesty about his own life, which you will learn about in the video I'm about to show. He's forced me to ask the same questions about the use of my time, my phone, and media. You will see his antidote to his own stressful life was to take a hard look at his daily habits. I hope you will see that his conception of a common rule of life 
is not about obeying rules, then finding a purpose by organizing our daily habits and patterns towards a bigger goal, loving God and neighbor. So let's begin. Hi, and welcome to this video series on the common rule, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. The Common Rule is a book about eight daily and weekly habits designed to form us in the love of God and neighbor. And this video series is a guide to reading the book, discussing the concepts with your community, and most importantly, practicing the habits together. So over the course of this series, I'm gonna walk you through each of the daily and weekly habits and show you how each one transforms an otherwise mundane, ordinary, and under the radar habit into a new rhythm of loving God and neighbor. And we're gonna talk about a lot of practical things about how you would implement these habits in your community. But before we get into any of those specifics, I wanna tell you a story. I wanna tell you about how I, a lawyer, former missionary, husband, and father of four boys, how did I come to be a person who wrote a book about habits in the first place? At the time, I had just been through a lot. My wife and I had spent over four years in China as missionaries. And we had come back to the States because actually I felt God calling me to go to law school and sort of be a missionary to law and business. And we had had our first two boys during law school. We had just moved down to Richmond where all our friends and family lived to start my new job. So I should say, I actually thought things were going really well. I had learned Chinese. I had graduated at the top of my class at Georgetown. I had gotten the dream job I wanted. And I had a wonderful wife and two beautiful sons. I actually felt like I was on top of the world. I was, I will say, way overcommitted. My life was absolutely jam-packed full of commitments. I was always running around and staying up too late, waking up too early, saying yes to too many things. But I didn't see that as a problem because I thought that's what all top law students did. I thought actually that's exactly what young aspiring lawyers did. I thought that's how you did well. So as a matter of practical commitments, schedule, attention, I was living a life without limits. And here's a key point. Though I had this Christian outlook and this mission, the habits of my life in form looked exactly like what all the other crazy top law students' lives looked like. Lots of achievement, lots of drive, lots of appointments, obligations, stress, alerts, no sleep, no rest, no calm. So I would say now that the house of my life was decorated with this Christian content, but the architecture was built just the same as everyone else's. I was living a life without limits, and it was working for me, of course, until it wasn't. So one night, just a couple weeks into my new job as a corporate lawyer, I was dozing off in bed when I jolted awake to this strange sensation of almost existential panic. I eventually fall back asleep, but the next night it all happens again, and this time I never fall back asleep. So about the 48-hour mark of not sleeping, I finally go to the emergency room where the doctor tells me in one of those anticlimactic moments of my life that I had what they call clinical anxiety. And I wanted to read him my resume, tell him he had the wrong guy, that I was high capacity and low stress. But he just tells me, hey, this is very common, as if that was comforting. And he sends me home with some sleeping pills. And my life absolutely created. Between the sleep deprivation, the side effects from sleeping pills, the ambient anxiety just rumbling in my mind and life, not to mention the high pressures of just a job and two kids, 
I collapsed. I remember a couple nights into this, I'm standing in the kitchen with my wife and she hands me some dishes to put away. And I take them and I look back at her and I say, I don't know where these go. And I really didn't. I, I was so far gone during that time that I remember during these horrible weeks of my life, I was beginning to sincerely wonder whether I was gonna pay back my student debt, be able to care for my children, keep my job, and, and really be the husband, father, and friend that I wanted to be. And for a long stretch of months after that, I either needed pills or alcohol to fall asleep. I was to totally just coping. And I was left with this sticky question. How did the missionary become converted? How, how did the missionary to law and business become converted to that nervous, medicating lawyer? Now, struggles with mental illness are really, really complicated, so I really don't want to simplify and suggest a cure-all for everybody. But I can say, for the clarity of hindsight, that for me, it was by habit. A large part of what was happening is that my heart and my body finally became converted to the anxiety and busyness that my habits and routines worshipped. And the reason I know this is because of what happened next. So I remember another night, this one was much better. I was sitting in a restaurant with my two best friends, Steve and Matt. This is about a year later. It had been a really tough, long, dark year. But that night on the table was this program of habits, some daily and weekly habits that my wife and I had developed and put together, just trying to put some structure and some limits around my life, in essence, to rein me in a little bit and really try to get my body to believe the peace that my head professed, but my heart refused. And so at this point, I would try anything. I was willing to try this, but I will tell you, I did not think any of them would matter that much. But that I see now is because I had no idea how the smallest, most ordinary habits of limitation actually impact our souls in the most significant and extraordinary ways. My life began to totally change. And as I slowly got healthy, as I slowly stopped coping, I started to enter into this really new place in my walk with Jesus where I felt he was really present in my daily and weekly ordinary moments. And I had to start thinking really hard about this. How is it that these tiny habits are so important? And in the book, I talk about the psychology, the neurology, and the theology of habits. But the thesis is this, to sum it all up, our habits form us. They pave the way and our identities follow. So these under-the-radar habits have a lot to do with shaping our desires, our loves, and thus our whole lives. And here's why this matters. If we ignore this vast portion of our life, we're basically saying to Jesus, you can disciple my conscious mind, you can disciple what I say I believe, but not my subconscious patterns of action and what I actually do and love on a daily basis. This is a question of discipleship. And true discipleship to Jesus will mean that we submit our head, our heart, and our habits to his teachings. It's, it's awkward to admit, but it's important to say this out loud. How else do you get a culture like ours? Where millions of us pay lip service to the gospel of Jesus, all the while assimilating to the usual contours of American life. We preach a gospel of peace, and yet we are overwhelmed by the anxieties of busyness. We preach a gospel of hope but we are consumed by the fears of meaninglessness. This can't be, it shouldn't be, but th there's a much better way to live. It's where we unite our head and our habit 
to the teachings and the way of Jesus and find that within these narrow limitations, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. As it turns out, these habits of limitation lead us to the good life. As I listened to early talk about daily habits, I am reminded of the words of Annie Dillard. How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. So let's look at Early's conception of developing four rhythms for Coronatide. You can see them here. Now what's interesting is that he's focusing not only on the more obvious, reading the scriptures and developing rhythms of prayer, but he also includes two others gathering, gathering safely, or making a conscious effort to find safe ways to gather together with others outside of our quarantine circle or family. I love that he suggests that this is one of the rhythms that is so crucial right now. And I think it is for us too, at All Souls. We need each other's presence at All Souls if we're going to walk forward towards wholeness. We don't need more information. We need each other to find the path of hope. Thus, early also invites us to embrace hope symbolically by placing a candle in our window each night until the specter of coronavirus recedes in life as we once knew it begins again. More about that in a few weeks. So let's look at the reading plan. So this week, I'm asking we are asking you to read from the common rule, the first 17 pages. And we want you to take a look at the website, read Father Andrews and my reflections. If you haven't read them uh, in the Tuesday e-news, we're gonna be posting reflections like this, we hope every week, and we hope they're from all members of our community. We're also gonna be posting a discussion question. And especially if you're working through this with a small group or your family, look to the website to find some of these questions. And the one here is a Duke University study showed that 40% of our daily actions are not the products of conscious choices, but the products of unconscious habits. That is something to consider. And it also is good to actually think about what our daily habits are. And is there any habit that you can especially notice that reflects a disposition or a desire in your life. Connecting habits to desires is the key for early. So at All Souls, we will be organizing our reading of early book, early's book around these four rhythms. You can see that next week we'll begin to consider the rhythm, creating rhythms of prayer, and then lighting the fire of hope, reading the scriptures, gathering safely and we'll organize our reading around these four essential rhythms. One thing I want to say about this book, it is not a deep book about Christian spirituality or a how-to book in regard to actual spiritual practices. While those books definitely have their place in our libraries, Early's book is different. It is a simple testimony of one man figuring out how to enlarge his life with the good, as well as challenging his readers to take a deeper look at how to manage their own stressful lives in the midst of the distraction of our secular culture. 
So I will conclude this morning's teaching with this simple call to all of us to see this whole series, the catechesis, the book, the family and group discussions as a vehicle for entering in to a period of self-examination of the daily habits that we have that shape the way we spend our days and ultimately our lives. We hope this process will be a collaborative one the means by which we become more and more the people God calls us to be. Thank you.